We've been talking the last few Wednesday nights about the endurance of Job, and we're taking for a text James chapter 5, verses 10 and 11. And tonight I would like to read it in the New King James Version. It says, My brethren, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord as an example of suffering and patience. Indeed, we count them blessed who endure. You have heard of the perseverance of Job and seen the end intended by the Lord, that the Lord is very compassionate and merciful. Let's everybody say, the Lord is very compassionate and merciful. Let's say it again. The Lord is very compassionate and merciful. We said this is actually a New Testament commentary on the book of Job. James tells us what our takeaway should be from Job, that that of Job's perseverance or endurance, the Greek word is hupomone, It's better translated perseverance or endurance rather than patience. And the end intended by the Lord. We are to know that God, the Lord, is very compassionate and merciful. Amen? So you can open up your Bibles also to the book of Job. And we have established that the book of Job is divided into three parts, the prologue, the debate, and the epilogue. The prologue is a very short narrative introduction, just two chapters. The debate, on the other hand, is 35 chapters, and it is a dialogue between Job and his friends. And then the epilogue is the conclusion and is just five chapters long. These three divisions could also be called Job's distress, Job's defense, and Job's deliverance. Job's distress because in the prologue we do learn Uh, about the calamities that befell him. We have talked a bit about the prologue that we learn about God's description of Job in the prologue, Job's distresses in the prologue, and we also get a behind-the-scenes view of Satan and his strategies in those first couple of chapters. Tonight, we're going to talk about Job's deliverance. That is, we're going to look at the epilogue, the poetic and climatic conclusion of the book of Job. Um, So last week at the end, I read an excerpt from a 1885 sermon by George Matheson. And I was 
laughed at by some of the other ministers <laughs> because it was time for me to close. And I said, I guess I used my hand like this, like, y'all want to hear this excerpt, like it was going to be a short paragraph. <laughs> well, it was short in comparison to the sermon. The sermon was like at least 45 minutes long, and I timed myself reading it, and it was only 10 minutes. So it was only a 10-minute excerpt from a 45-minute sermon. But with my introduction to the excerpt, I probably took 15 minutes or so. But anyway, it was more than just that much. Um, <laughs> But George Matheson, in that sermon, if you remember, posed the question, why should this man be called patient? He said, it has become proverbial to speak of his patience. His name has come down to us as a type of steadfast endurance. Yet in the light of this, what he calls a bursting rain cloud, that is his outcry, his rebuttal, his defense. Why should we speak of the patience of Job? And then he goes on to answer that question in his sermon and says that the patience of Job was never so conspicuously displayed as it was in that very outcry. He said that the value of a man's patience or endurance consists in the painfulness of that which he has to endure. And he pointed out that his friends, Job's friends, tried to rob him of his intellectual patience and demanded that Job be able to tell why he was suffering, why these calamities happened. And they all argued that because God is just and God is sovereign, Job must have sinned. And so they were encouraging him to acknowledge his sin, repent of his sin. And Job could not conscientiously acknowledge uh, sin. And so for 35 chapters, that is three rounds of speeches by these, his closest friends, he was falsely accused and misunderstood, and that in the name of the Lord. You know, they're basically preaching to him. Heard one commentator call them their Job's, you know, Bible-toting friends. Well, we have learned they didn't have a Bible. They, this was before even the Torah was written by Moses, so they didn't have written scripture. But they did have, you know, what is known as the Noahide laws, um, they were, as all of us are, descendants of Noah, who was a preacher of righteousness. And Noah's three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, are 
you know, all of the nations came from them. And Shem's grandson's name was Uz or Uz, and it says of Job that he lived in the land of Uz. So this is what we know about Job. He was, as God described, blameless and upright. You know, three times God says that in the prologue about Job. And you can actually also find in the book of Ezekiel that Ezekiel, I believe it's in chapter 14, he is prophesying judgment on the land of Israel because of their sin and rebellion. And he says, even if Noah, Daniel, and Job were in the land, they would not be able to stay the judgment of God. He said they would be able to to deliver their own souls. But even, he repeats it, even if Daniel and Noah and Job were there, they, they could not effectively intercede for the land of Israel. So in other words, Ezekiel uh, and apparently the people considered Job a hero of faith, you know, in the category with Noah and Daniel. And interestingly, when I think about, uh, and I've endeavored to examine what these three men have in common in the New Testament, I find that any time that Noah or Daniel or Job is spoken of, it's talking about the coming of the Lord. And the coming, you know, with the coming of the Lord, we have the rapture and then we have the judgment. And Pastor Andy's been talking about that also. And so, um, Job was a righteous man, is my point. But, like Jesus, he suffered the shame of being misjudged and misunderstood and falsely accused. Um, And so this is one of the primary things that Job endured. On top of the fact that he lost all his wealth, he he lost his ten children, and then he lost his health, he, his closest friends, preached to him in a way that God eventually said, I'm angry with you, speaking to Job's friends, because you have not spoken of me the thing that is right. And so, you know, thank God for that. And again, I'm getting ahead of myself. But Job's friends, they had the same assumption that some of the Jews had in Jesus' time. I quoted from John 9, uh, 2 and 3, actually, uh, actually through verse 5 last week, but I didn't have it in my notes, but you can put it up there. Uh, the Passion Translation says that Jesus responded when asked, Who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus said, Neither, period. It happened to him so that you could watch him experience God's miracle. So that was God's intent. So, 
you know, we know, of course, that the thief, the devil, comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. And we won't go back and rehearse all of that. But the Message Bible for John 9, 3 through 5 says, You're asking the wrong question. You're looking for someone to blame. There is no such cause effect here. Look instead for what God can do. And remember what it says in our text. You have seen the end intended by the Lord concerning Job. And that's what we're going to talk about tonight, the end. Hallelujah, the epilogue. The Lord is very compassionate. But also in Luke's gospel, Jesus repudiates this idea that sin and suffering are always directly related. Now certainly, if we personally are suffering, it's appropriate that we examine our own hearts that we judge ourselves. However, it, we need to be very careful about making judgments about why others are suffering. And Jesus repudiated the automatic link between sin and suffering, not only in John 9, but in Luke 13. Remember he said, do you think that they were worse sinners than other men? Speaking of the 10 that, or excuse me, 18 people that were killed by the Tower of Siloam that fell. And the people were thinking, you know, well, that was God's judgment. Because they, they must have been bad sinners. But Jesus said, no. And unless you repent, everybody's going to perish, you know. So... Uh, it's we need to be very careful to not be friends like Job's friends. Amen? Hallelujah. And Job's defense, as the debate is also called, in it there is one thing that he declared he knew for sure. There's a lot he didn't understand about his suffering. But in Job 19, 25, and 26, he said, I know that my Redeemer lives, and he shall stand at last on the earth. And after my skin is destroyed, this I know, that in my flesh I shall see God. Powerful, powerful, profound, and prophetic that statement was by Job. Um, so we talked about the three friends, Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar, that God rebuked. There was one other uh, friend named Elihu who spoke as well. And on the one hand, we could give Elihu the benefit of the doubt and because he claimed that the inspiration of the Almighty caused him to speak, Job 32.8. Um, that may explain if we give him the benefit of the doubt. And 
if we believe that Elihu did have the inspiration of the Almighty that caused him to speak out. Now, if you look at Elihu's speech, it's much like his other friends. He starts out pretty good, but it becomes accusative. You know, it's laced with half-truths, uh, mixed with, you know, truths and non-truths. Um, again, God specifically rebuked Eliphaz, Zophar, and Bildad. He doesn't specifically rebuke Elihu. However, like I said, on the one hand, we could give him the benefit of the doubt and that, and say, okay, he, he spoke by inspiration, even though he got off. But maybe he did have God's help in speaking, right? That may explain why Job offers no rebuttal to Elihu's speech, but instead, after Elihu speaks, and Job remains silent, then the Lord speaks out of heaven. That's one way of looking at it. On the other hand, since Elihu is the last one to speak, some uh, commentators would say, and it is quite probable, that God is actually speaking of and addressing Elihu when he begins by saying, when God speaks out of the whirlwind, in Job 38, verse 2, who is this who darkens counsel by words without knowledge? So some say he's speaking of Elihu there. And, and that, that could be God rebuking Elihu as well as the other three friends because he certainly did, you know, speak without accurate knowledge. All right, so then, after these 35 chapters of arguments between Job and his friends, and we have pointed out that in these 35 chapters uniquely, we cannot pull a verse out and say, thus saith the Lord. Because God is not speaking, nor the inspired author of the book, who is not Job, by the way. He is unknown. He is certainly inspired by the Holy Spirit. He's in the canon of Scripture. The, but all of these 35 chapters are direct quotes of either Job, um, Eliphaz, Bildad, Zophar, or Elihu. And However, when we get to chapter 38 and verse 1, and you can turn there with me if you'd like, it says, Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind. Praise God. God finally speaks. But wait. He does not answer the foremost question that prompted this lengthy debate. That is, why is Job suffering? 
Instead, God is the one posing the questions. God asks a series of rhetorical questions, 77 questions to be exact. And I want you to think about this, that in this portion of the book, we can actually use the popular saying that we have, this is my Bible, this is God speaking to me. This is God speaking, hallelujah. And so we should read chapter 38, 39, 40, 41. This is God speaking to me. He spoke to Job, but he is speaking. And we can listen and read knowing this is God speaking and actually Job 41.11 is quoted by the Apostle Paul in Romans 11.35. So this, this is God speaking and these questions 77 of them all have one correct answer. Remember this. When God asks a question, he is not looking for information. It's not because he needs information. The correct answer to all 77 of these questions is, I don't know. <laughs> In other words, as our pastor B.B. Hankins, Mark Hankins' dad used to say, there is a God and I am not him. That is what we are to get out of these 77 rhetorical questions. There is a God and I am not him. I don't know is the correct answer to all of these questions. Um, God drills Job and you and me this is God speaking to us, amen, about the order and origin of the universe and the cosmos. He asks about the gestation periods and grazing habits of, you know, mountain goats and wild donkeys and asks where, the, where he stores the snow and the hail and uh, my favorite is his questions about the, the horse, the strength and beauty of the horse. Have you given the horse its strength? Have you clothed its neck with a flowing mane? Job thirty nine nineteen. So Job is so humbled by God speaking to him and by God's presence. I'm telling you, isn't it good to hear? I think we... We sang something about the voice. I love your voice. Hallelujah. It's so good to hear from God. Amen. And so when you're suffering, or at least I can testify, you know, it's easy to feel like God is far away, that God 
you know, where are you, God? And so Job has been suffering. And on top of that, his close friends are, are preaching to him that he has sinned somehow, some way. And this is why he is suffering. And it, it is just so good to hear the voice of God. And Job is so humbled and so broken by the presence of God. And even though God does not directly rebuke him, he repents in dust and ashes, right? And um, then Job asserts, remember he had said in chapter 19, I know, there's a whole lot I don't know, but I know my Redeemer lives. And then here in um, Job 42.2, in the ESV, Job says, I know, he speaks to God and says, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Now, you know, we said we really, as New Testament believers, should not embrace everything that Job had said, even in Job chapter 1, when he worships God, you know, he said the Lord gives and the Lord takes away, and we know the Lord doesn't take away, amen? There was a, an enemy, a, an accuser, uh, an adversary that was at work. And we shouldn't embrace, you know, Job 121 as our own, but we can embrace Job 19, 25, and 26. I know my Redeemer lives, amen. And here's another good one that we can embrace. I know, God, that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Amen. Hallelujah. Because those statements line up with the whole of Scripture. Amen. Hallelujah. God, I know you have good plans for me that cannot be thwarted. And so then, after God speaks, asks all of these questions, um, then he speaks to Eliphaz in Job 42, 7 and says, I am angry with you and your two friends, for you have not spoken accurately about me as my servant Job has. Then God says, take seven bulls, seven rams, and go to my servant, he calls Job, my servant Job, and offer a burnt offering for yourselves, and my servant Job will pray for you, and I will accept his prayer on your behalf. I will not treat you as you deserve, for you have not spoken accurately about me as my servant Job has. That's the NLT, Job 42, 7 and 8. Well, guess what? They did, Job did, and God did. Hallelujah. I know, and you do too, of course, you're here as a Bible-believing Christians, 
in a word church, we know that the book of Job is not fictitious <laughs> by no means. Amen? It is a true story, a real story that really engages in the complexities of human suffering. But it also happens to have a wonderful climatic ending. Amen? And when I say it's not fictitious, I'm saying that to uh, say in, in front of saying that it reminds me, though, of when I was a little girl, my grandfather used to read me uh, the fairy tale of Cinderella and the copy of his, his version was an old tattered book that he read to me and that old copy, that version, in the end, Cinderella forgives her stepsisters, introduces them to wealthy lords, invites them to come live in the palace. They marry lords of the kingdom. And not only do her and the prince live happily ever after, but so do the stepsisters in the, that original story. And obviously, the, uh, that, the author of the original tale was influenced by the Bible. <laughs> and the power of forgiveness. Um, but the reason that memory is relevant to this story is because God does not show up to take sides. God shows up to take over. <laughs> and everyone who cooperates with him wins and gets blessed. Amen? And that's what happens in this story. It says that they did according to what God commanded. Here they had been preaching to Job, you know, three rounds of telling him, you must have sinned. And then God says, I'm angry with you because you have not spoken what is right, as my servant Job has. Now go to him and he'll pray for you and then you won't get what you deserve. <laughs> and they did. And Job prayed for these friends. And God accepted Job's prayer. Hallelujah. And then it says, verse 10 of Job 42, And the Lord turned the captivity of Job when he prayed for his friends. Also, the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. Now, in chapter 1, we find that Job is like the wealthiest, the greatest man of all the East. And now he's got twice as much? Hallelujah. He was uh, before the richest person in the entire area. So God not only restored his fortune, but doubled his estate. Hallelujah. How many know I believe in the double? <laughs> God's double blessing, it's not only found here in the story of Job, it's actually promised 
elsewhere in Scripture. And 2 Corinthians 1.20 says, All the promises of God in Christ are yes and amen. The NLT says, All of God's promises have been fulfilled in Christ with a resounding yes. And through Christ, our amen, which means yes, ascends to God for his glory. So when we say amen to the promises of God, hallelujah, that ascends to God for his glory. And Isaiah 61, 7 says, instead of your shame, you shall have double. Hallelujah, for your shame. So if you have been shamed, so again, this, is, this was actually a foreshadowing of what Christ endured on the cross. He says he endured the cross for the joy set before him. He endured the cross, despising the shame. Hallelujah. And so what God promises, if you've experienced shame, you will, for your shame, you shall have double. Hallelujah. Zechariah 9.12 also says, Return to your stronghold, O prisoners of hope. Today I declare that I will restore to you double. Hallelujah. So years ago, the, the, the Lord gave me a song as a way of saying amen to the promise of double. I got double from my trouble, honor for my shame, peace for my confusion, victory in his name. Hallelujah, I got double. And one of the verses that God gave me was, you may feel just like dear old Job. He lost his health, his family, nearly all he owned. But God turned it around when he prayed for his friends. God blessed him twice as much. He got double in the end. He got double, hallelujah, double for his trouble. Hallelujah. We can claim double for our trouble. Praise God, because that, that's the way God restores. Hallelujah. Um, verse 11 of chapter 42 says that this is the NLT, then all his brothers, sisters, and former friends came and feasted with him or celebrated with him in his home. And they consoled him and comforted him because of all of his trials. Remember, in, also in chapter 19, Job had uh, lamented that his close friends had forgotten him and his relatives stayed far away from him. So, the three, the four friends are the ones that had the courage to at least come to him, even though they were wrong in what they preached. Uh, but God not only turned that around, you know, his, his friends that he prayed for, but it says that all of his relatives, hallelujah, the ones that had forgotten about him, came to him and consoled him and comforted him because of all of his troubles and trials. Hallelujah. And celebrated with him. God is good. Amen? And that's what we're supposed to get out of the story. Hallelujah. The end of the Lord. He is very compassionate. Hallelujah. 
So restoration is also promised in God's word. Hallelujah. God will restore health and wealth. He delights especially in restoring relationships. God even says he will restore years. Who but God can do that? Hallelujah. Joel 2.25, I will restore to you the years that the swarming locust has eaten. And Jeremiah 30.17 says, I will restore health to you and heal you of your wounds. Boy, that's one I've been claiming. Hallelujah. I like the NLT. It says, I will give you back your health. Hallelujah. And heal you of your wounds. Hallelujah. So God was planning Job's restoration from the beginning, just as he is planning restoration for you. Hallelujah. Remember the text. You have heard of the perseverance of Job. You've seen the end intended by the Lord. The Lord is very compassionate and merciful. Hallelujah. And one of my favorite versions of the text in James 5, 10 and 11 is the Message Bible. I'm going to close with this. Take the old prophets as your mentors. They put up with anything, went through everything, and never once quit, all the time honoring God. What a gift life is to those who stay the course. You've heard, of course, of Job's staying power, and you know how God brought it all together for him at the end. That's because God cares, cares right down to the last detail. Hallelujah! Can somebody say hallelujah? Hallelujah. Can somebody say God is good? I will sing of the goodness of God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. You are a redeemer, restorer, rebuilder, and rewarder. You are good. You are very compassionate very pitiful, very merciful. And we thank you for your goodness, Lord. Hallelujah. We thank you that all the promises, all of your promises in Christ are yes and amen. Hallelujah. You have promised to restore. You have promised double even. Hallelujah. Double for our trouble. And so we claim that, Father God. In the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Now while heads are bowed and eyes are closed, Christians are in an attitude of prayer. If there's anyone here tonight that you don't know Jesus personally, you don't know that if you died tonight, you'd go to heaven. The Bible says we can know. These things are written that we may know. We have eternal life, this Bible says. And it says in the book of Revelation, chapter 3, that Jesus stands at the door and knocks. So he knocks at every heart, at the door of every heart. And he's just waiting for you to 
open that door. There is no knob on the outside of that door. It must be opened from the inside. But Jesus said, if you, you will invite me in, I will come in and I will fellowship with you and you with me. He wants a personal relationship with you. He died for your sins and for mine. He paid the price to restore our relationship with God. He shed his blood. He was buried, but God raised him from the dead the third day. And the scripture says, if we believe in our heart that God raised Jesus from the dead, and if we will confess Jesus as Lord, we will be saved. So if that's you tonight, I'd like to pray with you, pray for you and pray with you according to those verses that I just quoted. Hallelujah. I'd like to help you make Jesus Christ the Lord of your life. And I'll just pray with you where you can ask Jesus to come into your heart and receive the gift of eternal life. It's called a gift. The gift of God is eternal life. Hallelujah. So anyone here tonight, you, you would like to receive the gift of eternal life? Raise your hand where I can see it, and I will pray for you and with you. Hallelujah. Glory to God. In case there's anyone watching online, that doesn't know Jesus and you want to invite him into your heart and life, we're all going to pray this together. And you can pray along with us. Say, Dear God, I believe Jesus Christ is your son. He died for my sins and you raised him from the dead. I confess Jesus as my Lord my Savior. Today I am born again. I am saved. I am your child. God, you are my Father. Hallelujah. If you prayed that prayer, the Bible says you are a child of God. As many as received him, to them he gave the power to become a child of God. Hallelujah. And we would love to send you a little book called Friendship with God that um, would be our gift to you and follow the prompts on your screen and we would be happy to send that to you. Um, if you are a child of God, you know you're saved, you know you're born again, but you need to be restored in fellowship with God or you would like to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, hallelujah, or you would like to become a member of the church. Church membership doesn't save you, but it puts you in fellowship, and you feel like the Lord is leading you to be joined here to this body. We want to welcome you and pray over you. So for any of those three invitations, uh, raise your hand and we will not close without being sure that you are right with God, you're filled with the Holy Spirit, and 
you're a member of the, the church if you would like to be. Anyone you would like prayer for any of those invitations. Hallelujah. Again, watching online, we are here for you. And we would just be happy to help you in your journey and your relationship with God. And so thank you for watching online. Glory to God. And thank you all for being here tonight. Hallelujah. I sure love you. It's so good to see all of you. Thank you for being so attentive. God bless you.